Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, November 7th, 2022. I'm joined today by Dr. Farnas Kia, who recently joined our practice. Farnas and I are going to talk about minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, specifically laparoscopy and hysteroscopy. Farnaz is a fellow Midwesterner who went out west and did her training in California and then came all the way east to work with us in New York City. In addition to talking about minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, we briefly discussed the state of affairs of her Minnesota Vikings and my Chicago Bears. Now, we recorded this in early September, and now that it's November, I think you'll all be very impressed how well we actually predicted the early season for both of these teams. Maybe next year we should start a podcast on football forecasting. Who knows? Either way, enjoy today's podcast. Next week, we're going to be starting a long series on preterm birth, starting with a podcast on preterm labor with Dr. Jessica Spiegelman. As a reminder, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, I would really appreciate it if you can go and rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. Thanks in advance. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Dr. Farnas Kia, welcome to the podcast. It is so exciting to have you on a podcast. And I know that you've been looking forward to this moment for months. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've been listening to it for months and months as well. So yeah. So so as as I know and you know, but our listeners might not know, you are a wonderful and recent addition to our practice in New York City, and you came all the way over from the <laughs> west coast of the United States, aka California. I sure did. How's that transition been for you? It's been good. It's been good. My husband and I have been doing the back and forth between California and New York for a while. So spent quite a bit of time in New York leading up to this moment, but really love it here. Everyone's been really great and not mean at all. So you're enjoy- you haven't been mugged yet in New York? <laughs> not yet. No. All right, so that's good. All right. No one has no one has treated you poorly on the streets of Manhattan, right? No, the people are great. It's, right. it's, it's been awesome. So, Wonderful. Yeah. What What's the biggest difference, would you say, between California and New York? Not driving everywhere. Like, oh. Like my legs were physically so tired when I first moved here. Right. And I would feel like, I can't walk anymore. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Not driving anywhere. But you are originally a Midwesterner. I am. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I grew up there Mm -hmm. majority of my life. And then I did my training out in California and then started working out in Big Apple. Right. We're just getting you to the less and less pleasant places. (laughs) Midwest where everyone's really nice and easygoing. And then California, like sort of. And then New York, it's just, you know, you're... The explosion. Yeah, now listen, the Midwest, I'll tell you, it's, 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 that's why you're a pleasant person. It's, uh, it's a great it's place there. to grow up. Yeah, it's a great place to raise a family, good values. Really enjoyed my time there. I got sick of the cold. Yeah, a lot of winter sports there. <laughs> All right. Definitely. As of this recording, the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears are tied for first place and want to know. They killed the Packers. Yeah. So, and anyone who beats the Packers, or as we say, the Packers, is, <laughs> uh, is it's great. So I, the Bears, let's say they're playing them this week and there's a, 
I don't do sports predictions on this podcast, and this will drop two months after the game, but there's a high chance Bears will lose. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Same with the Vikings, though. So. <laughs> no, the Vikings are gonna be good this year. That's uh, you heard it here. They're, they have a good team, at least in fantasy football, they have a lot of players. Yeah. Excellent. So we're gonna be talking about today minimally invasive gynecology, specifically laparoscopy and hysteroscopy. And just to sort of like I guess, frame your expertise in this. Tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got from the cold weather of Minnesota to medical school and to OBGYN. Yeah, so my my parents originally immigrated to Minneapolis, Minnesota from Iran. They moved about 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Why Minnesota? I don't know. They had one family member there at the time. Right. And so... What's a similar climate? I would say, you know, (laughs) it's, you know, the Mideast and the Midwest. Yeah. Pretty similar. Okay, fine. And, you know, family continued to move there. And so we stayed there for a while and always stayed. I I always stayed close to home. Family was really important growing up. And along with that, growing up, one of the values that was always taught to me is, you know, you have to find ways to give back to your community. And so that's how initially I decided to go into medicine because I thought, what better way to give back to your community than to serve your community and serve them by providing them better help, you know, but I embraced the cold and for many, many years and did medical school there. And then when time for residency came around, I was ready for a change, ready to explore somewhere else. I think it's important for your training to Mm -hmm. experience different things. And so meet the great migration to the Sunshine State and all of my family slowly followed. And Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, my brother was originally, he did his residency and moved out to California. And then, you know, I followed him and then my other brother came with us and then my mom came. And, you know, wow. So your, your brother's a doctor? He is, yeah. Okay. And how did you choose OBGYN? Oh, he told me not to do OBGYN. And that's why you did it? Because your brother said not to? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so my brother started in general surgery and then he Uh is just a really brutal lifestyle. And, you know, there was a lot of advice that was given to think about your life like five, 10 years down the road. And OBGYN notoriously has a tough lifestyle because babies come whenever Mm -hmm. they want to come. Right. But I just, I loved working with women so much. And the really cool thing about OBGYN is that you get to be with women during all the monumental periods in their lives. So if you think about it, like their first pelvic exam, their first pregnancy, and then, you know, in the later years, once they start to go through menopause too, and what a privilege to be able to take care of someone throughout all of those times. So I really liked working with women and providing that care. And that's what drew me to OB. Wow. And then how did you pick California specifically, even though you're looking for a change, I'm curious, what would drive someone out there? I mean, the sunshine, sunshine? the beaches, the mountains. <laughs> done, like I'm done skiing. All right. Yeah. So it, you know, it just was a good change. I had some family there at the time, did some rotations and went to California. And then, you know, my husband and I, now husband and I did long distance. He was in New York at the time. And so did long distance from New York to California. And then he moved to California for a little bit hated it. Then, you know, we decided to move to New York together. And I love it here. I feel like I'm very much a chameleon that can kind of like fit into a lot of different places. And so you seem to fit in nicely, uh, you know, to the to the community in New York and to the surrounding areas and people. Yeah, you you you. fit right in. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Excellent. Great. Now, I, I think one of the the really interesting things about 
segueing into our topic about minimally invasive surgery is, you know, a lot of people with medicine sort of assume, right, that sort of the longer you've been in the field, sort of the better you get at certain things. And that's probably true with certain things, I would imagine, or I know. But one of the interesting things is with surgery specifically, it it sometimes is the opposite, that like the more recently you trained, the more adept you are with some of the more recent technological advances, you know, sort of yeah. as like a dumb example, like my kids are going to be much better at anything tech related oh, yeah. than I would be because yeah. they, they grew up with it, they know it and this. Right. And so trying to teach someone like me to do something very technological is complex yeah. <laughs> and, and of our time. And so, you know, with, with minimally invasive surgery, it's really cool when you see people come out of training and they're using equipment and doing things that, you know, in my training, we had little exposure to or less exposure to and people more senior to me had no exposure to potentially. Yeah. And so I think it's really exciting to, you know, when you come out of training, you always feel like you're the bottom of the totem pole, but with certain things, you're way up at the top. And I think minimally invasive surgery is one of those. What was your experience like in residency with, with laparoscopy, hysteroscopy? So much laparoscopy and hysteroscopy. It's crazy to even see the difference between, you know, how much we were operating. I remember being in my intern year and watching my chiefs operate and they were just starting laparoscopic suturing. And mm -hmm. then I started doing that, you know, my second year. And so it's it, it's really crazy when you look back and you see even through the progression of your four years of training, like how each class younger and younger starts learning those skills earlier in their residency. We were really, I was at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles and we had an amazing minimally invasive department with many world-renowned surgeons that, you know, took us under their wings and a couple of them were some of my biggest mentors throughout my training. And, you know, I approached each surgery a little bit differently than they would because they just, you know, operate all day, every day, and they mm -hmm. do a million of these cases. And for me, I was coming at it from a generalist point of view, like, okay, when I'm out in New York, <laughs> like, you know, what instruments are they for sure going to have or what right. can they for sure call for, you know, but they, they really, you know, helped teach me like all of the little nuances that go behind every case and, the exposure that we got was incredible. It's it's also very interesting because now residency programs are struggling to get enough open cases. Right, it's the opposite. Yeah, like, yeah because <laughs> since so much of surgery in general and certainly gynecology has moved from, you know, these what we call major cases where you basically like, you know, literally open someone up right. and then close them up. Right. It's hard to have enough experience in those because yeah. there's fewer of them happening. So it's great for patients. Right. Maybe not so great for training, just <laughs> exactly. which is tough, which is why there's a lot, you know, a lot of people have to do fellowships, right. uh, additional training just to become adept at certain operations. And, and, you know, it depends where you train in this and where you practice. But yeah, I was thinking the same thing that, yeah. you know, 20, 20, 30 years ago, people probably struggled to get enough minimally invasive cases and right. they were doing open cases all the time. And now it's exactly the opposite. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty incredible when you look at like your caseload at the end of the year and see how many cases you've mm -hmm. done in each thing. And there was like this, you know, department wide announcement, like all the open cases, like make sure the residents go to that. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> as many as many as you can. So what do we mean for those of us out here who may not quite get what we're saying. What's the difference between surgery that's minimally invasive versus 
the alternative, maximally invasive, very invasive, and we call it open surgery. But like, so what are we talking about here, basically? Right. So what we're referring to as open surgery or major surgery is basically a much bigger incision that you have and the way that you enter the abdomen and the way that you operate. So those of you are probably familiar with the type of incision that you have for a Mm C-section, for instance, and it would be that type of incision if you were to have something like a hysterectomy, which Mm -hmm. is removing the uterus. Alternatively, what we've, you know, migrated towards in more recent years is doing laparoscopic surgery where we make three very small incisions, largest about like a centimeter, one's in the belly button, so it hides very nicely. You can't even see it and two around the sides of the pelvis that, you know, the incisions heal great. And then you put a camera inside the belly and fill the belly with air, and then you're able to operate through those two side ports is what we call them with different instruments. So it's not, you know, you're not operating, you're operating with your hands, but your hands aren't touching the thing that you're operating on. It's like you're operating like through a rod or, you know, through an instrument. And so it's a little bit harder to learn from that sense, like the hand-eye coordination that goes into it. It's kind of like a video game. (laughs) Right. Because I mean, just just set it up so the the patient's, you know, she would be, she's asleep, right? Right. So she's she's asleep. She has anesthesia. So she's not in pain and She's lying on an operating table and you, the surgeon, you're standing on her side and you put like a little incision in her belly button and you put in a camera and also you put in something that's called insufflate or fill her belly with air. So her Mm -hmm. belly starts to fill up like a balloon with air and then you put in another couple instruments. And since one of them is a camera, you're looking on a TV screen. You're not looking in, you're you're looking inside her belly, but through a camera on a TV screen. And so your your hands are outside her belly holding these instruments that are going through her belly. And so you're essentially using like, you know, like the like a grabber, you would have to get something high at the supermarket. Like you squeeze right. your hand here and it squeezes at the end of the instrument or whatever it might be, you yeah. know, that, a scissors, a grabber, a sewer. Yeah. And you could actually, like you said, put needles in there yeah. through these things and then actually sew. Sure. Yeah. And so what would be, which is, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. What would be <laughs> the advantage of doing surgery that way versus the open way or the advantages because there's multiple, obviously. Yeah, so it's so many. You know, our surgeries that we do in gynecology, they're mostly same-day surgeries. So they come in, you know, even our major surgeries like a hysterectomy, you go home the same day, which is incredible, you know, versus an open abdominal surgery might be one, two, three nights in the hospital recovering. Patients have less pain. They heal much faster. They're able to resume their activity, normal activity levels, you know, much quicker. So it's much faster recovery, less pain, less hospital admissions, less complications from that standpoint. So overall, it's it's preferred if possible to be able to do something laparoscopically. And so it just kind of depends on each case, you know, one case is more complex or has more complex pathology, maybe not the best candidate for laparoscopic surgery, but we try to do it as much as we can. Right. I mean, I think one of the principles in surgery is less is more, meaning that right. the smaller the incision, the fewer the incisions, shorter operative time tends to be better. Like all these things tend to be better in terms of recovery, in terms of pain, in terms of complications, in terms of future scar tissue, like all the problems with having surgery, right? Surgery fixes problems, so that's great, right? right? If right. you have something that needs to be removed, you want surgery to get it removed, but the surgery itself, just sort of like, you know, invading someone's body and then putting it back together mm-hmm. has potential downsides, obviously. Yeah. Uh, not just immediately, but long-term. And the more minimal 
and minimalist you can be, the better it's going to be. Now, I was just curious because you mentioned a hysterectomy. If you have these little holes and you're taking out a uterus, how do you geometrically get the uterus out, <laughs> right? Because you have, you know, like, okay, the, the hole's the size of your finger and the uterus is the size yeah. of your fist. How does that work? One of my favorite mentors, she would say, my job is to get big things out of little holes. <laughs> so, you know, if you have a total hysterectomy, it comes out the vagina, which is right. great. The incision is made around the cervix. And so just kind of pull it out the vagina and then suture the what we call the vaginal cuff closed. Mm -hmm. And so then you don't need to have a giant incision to remove the specimen. And then, you know, in cases where you're maybe not doing a hysterectomy and removing a large cyst or, you know, if you're removing a fibroid or something, what typically happens is you extend the belly button incision a little bit because it hides so well inside the belly button. And, you know, you can do something, what we call morselation right. to help make the specimen smaller and take it out right. through one of the smaller holes. You basically like take the specimen and sort of like, you know, chop it up into smaller yeah. pieces and yeah. take it out that way. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's really pretty cool. Now, what other things in gynecology would be amenable to lap rats? So C-section, we obviously can't do minimally invasive, at least not yet, until we figure out a way to get the baby out. But other surgeries, so you mentioned a hysterectomy can be done minimally invasive. So that's yes. one operation. What else do we do in gynecology nowadays, predominantly minimally invasive with yeah. laparoscopy? I think the big thing even is like ectopic pregnancies. Mm. You know, I used to rotate at a smaller community hospital in California where they were still doing, you know, bigger incisions for ectopic pregnancy. And it pained me <laughs> so hard. Patient too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, that's, a really common thing. It's very easy. We can do bilateral, you know, like for sterilization. Mm -hmm. We nowadays do salpingectomies mm -hmm. so we can remove the fallopian tubes laparoscopically. We can remove ovarian cysts laparoscopically. Fibroids is another big one that's been, you know, another huge advancement. So if you have a fibroid uterus, you can remove the individual fibroids laparoscopically. What else? Endometriosis. It's another thing where you, you can do laparoscopy to diagnose endometriosis and take biopsies of it. But then also if someone has severe disease, remove the implants throughout, you know, the pelvis laparoscopically. Yeah. I and mean, it seems that pretty much all, if not almost, almost all or all of gynecologic surgery that's not related to cancer right. is pretty much done Min, or can be done minimally invasive. There's some exceptions, very big fibroids or very big uterus, or, you know, just right. things that geometrically it's not going to work out or it's not safe or whatever it might be. Some of the cancer cases can be done laparoscopically yeah. and some can't. It sort of depends what type right. of cancer, how advanced, you know, those things. But for sort of people with what we call benign conditions, benign, not meaning it's not a problem, but it's not cancer, can usually be done minimally invasive. Explain, since we're on laparoscopy, sort of the 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 advanced level that something called robotic surgery. So what is the difference between laparoscopy and robotic surgery, which is also a form of laparoscopy? Correct. Robotic surgery is, you know, typically, I'm sure people have heard of the Da Vinci machine. I remember when it first came out, it was like, oh my gosh, this $1 million machine. <laughs> but the Da Vinci machine is... Right. You don't like when the machine's worth more than you are, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. But basically, it's like a console that you sit at. It's in the room, so it has the same, you know, typically maybe one more incision than with laparoscopy along the abdomen, and then you place the 
instruments and there's this robotic arm that has the instruments in the robotic arm that are then inserted through the abdomen. And then the surgeon sits on a console that's like in the corner of the room and the camera that they're looking at, like they put their head into the console and they see the camera where they're operating. And then they use, they put their hands and fingers in these graspers that essentially like mimic your fingers and your hands and it has more tactile feedback. And so you're, you feel like you're operating with your hands more. So that's one of the advantages for robotic surgery. And it's also easier for people to learn how to do rather than, you know, laparoscopy with straight sticks because they, right. they, they it's like, yeah, it's you like, can articulate your wrists, wrists and move it 360 degrees and backwards right. and forward and that type of thing, which you can't do when you're operating like through a long rod. It's interesting. Wow. This is, I mean, this was when I was training, the, the robot was, it was around, but it was really new. I yeah. Mean, a few people like had access to it and they were right. like, the chosen ones, you right, know, right, like right. very few people they would trust with this machine. Now yeah. it's very common for people to train with it. Yeah. And I find that, you know, our institution where I did residency was the majority of people use the straight stick. And so mm -hmm. if you wanted to learn the robot, you can. And so you whatever you can do, the argument is, you know, whatever you can do on the robot, you can do in the straight stick type of thing. Some right. people that really love the robot feel differently, but right. so it, it's one, like typically one or the other is you know, depending on your surgeon's comfort level with which which one they feel more comfortable with. Fascinating. Now, the other type of minimally invasive surgery is called hysteroscopy. So what exactly is that? It sounds like laparoscopy because it has oscopy at the end, which just means we put a camera in. That's all <laughs> oscopy means for those of you who want to know the tricks of medical jargon. Scope equals camera. So oscopy means you're looking with the camera. So what is hysteroscopy? So hysteroscopy is really great. It's basically we put a camera through the cervix and descend the uterine cavity with, you know, usually saline mm -hmm. or lactated ringers. And we look around and can see inside the uterus. And then, you know, you can have a diagnostic hysteroscopy where you're just looking. Or if you have polyps or small fibroids that are inside the uterus and along the lining, you can actually operate through that little camera too. And so there's devices that have come out now where, you know, you can remove the specimen through there. And, you know, nowadays you can do it in the office too. And, you yeah. Know, it's not. So it's, it's really come far and it's a quick procedure. It's usually, you know, 30 minutes max and same day people go home, minimal complications that are associated with it. So it's a really great way to see inside the uterus. Yeah. And as opposed to laparoscopy, everything is done with one instrument, right? That one yeah. instrument is the camera, Correct. also has the things that you would sort of like snake through it to right. you know, grab things or cut things. It doesn't, you don't do as much with it, mm -hmm. but you don't need to do as much with it. I Meaning right. there's no reason you would, you don't sew things through it in the same way and you don't have to, you know, it's, right. it's really just to look and maybe look and remove is typically what it is yes. for those things. So things like polyps, like fibroids, you know, it's interesting that it's, if it's done in the hospital, usually people get anesthesia because A, they can, and B, usually there's more going on. Mm -hmm. uh, in the office, usually it's going to be a smaller camera. Mm -hmm. Some people get tolerated, some people can't. It sort of right. depends exactly also how easy is it to get the instrument through the cervix. Like that's right. where a lot of right. the pain might be. So someone, you know, let's say maybe has had a, a bunch of kids, their cervix tends to be a little looser and you can get right. a camera and easier. So there is some, you know, nuance to this exactly yeah. where it's done but conceptually, and that was a, a very big advancement because also just just the ability 
you know, with laparoscopy, it was the ability to do something less invasive. For the hysteroscopy, it was the ability to see it before you did it, right? Because right? Right. typically the procedures that it replaced, the hysteroscopy, were not things that used to cut open the uterus for. It was things that you just like blindly go in and like scrape things yeah, or grab like, things and, you know, hope hope you hope got them. The best. You know, so the, <laughs> for the hysteroscopy, you get to really look inside. You know, with laparoscopy, you always got to look inside, but you had to cut someone open to do it. Right. So that's, you know, the advantage for laparoscopy is it makes it much more minimally invasive. I think for hysteroscopy, it was, or, it was always sort of minimally invasive, but here it's much more precise because you can like right. literally see the thing, diagnose it, remove it and remove nothing else and sort of be done. So I think that that's pretty good. And I imagine you did about a bajillion of these when oh, you were a yeah. resident. Yeah. So it's funny because- they, <laughs> like The first thing you do as an intern. <laughs> totally, because it's such a low risk procedure, right? right? So the interns all do them. But then my last year, I started taking them all back. <laughs> yeah, You're like, wait, I can remember how to do this. It is, and it's 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 really fascinating because it's 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 a pretty straightforward procedure. It does require skill because you, right. again, because you have one- instrument that you're looking with and trying to operate yeah. with. And at the same time, you have to keep track of where everything is and what the fluid is going on. And right. there's a lot of stuff that'll sort of they set can, it up. It can be hard, you know, yeah. they're not always like routine and straightforward. And yeah. I don't know, my mantra in life is like, you can never be an expert at anything. There's always more to learn or, <laughs> you know, every additional case that you do, you're going to learn something. So yeah, I always try to do as many as I could, but yeah, it's, it's the hysteroscopy can be hard, but it's, it's a really great thing that we have available for patients and quick and, you know, quick recovery. And yeah, and our sort of in our setup for laparoscopy, everyone's in the operating room yeah. for hysteroscopy. There's a few people have it done in the office. Yeah. But again, if you need to do a lot of stuff, it's going to be it's an operating because the camera, yeah. you need a bigger instrument and that right. sort of hurts more. So that people tend to get anesthesia. But totally. all of it is, like you said, basically people show up to the hospital, yeah. you know, they meet the anesthesiologist, they go in the operating room. The procedure takes 30 minutes and it's a laparoscopy. It can be longer based on what you're doing. They wake up and they go home usually a couple hours later. Yeah. I mean, nothing too remarkable. Now for a hysteroscopy on the recovery and there's tends not to be much pain because there's no incisions, there's no stitches. Yeah. There's just, you know, maybe some cramping or bleeding, okay. but nothing, nothing remarkable. A laparoscopy is surgery. So people do have pain afterwards and there's instructions afterwards. And, right. you know, it's less pain than they would if they had major or open surgery, but it's but it's still more than a hysteroscopy. Correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, and those two are sometimes done together, right? So this people yeah, do both at the same right. time. You know, if you have to look at different things, you may as well right. have one anesthetic for both. Right, because laparoscopy, you can look inside the abdomen. With hysteroscopy, you can't. It's just inside the uterus. So sometimes, you know, people start with hysteroscopy and see if they can find mm. the pathology there. And if not, you know, go to laparoscopy or vice versa. So right, uh, right. But yeah, I mean, hysteroscopy patients don't even like just Tylenol or Motrin is typically what we give patients now. They don't really require anything more in terms of pain management, which is great. Yeah. Now for our listeners out there, right? They're all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. Hey, shout out to all of you guys in Nigeria <laughs> who are listening, by the way. Love it. Happy to have you. Keep coming back. How would someone know if, number one, they're a candidate for minimally invasive surgery. Meaning if someone says, they're meeting with their doctor and they say, all right, you need surgery, now I'm gonna do A, B, and C. Could someone just say, hey, am I a candidate for laparoscopy and hysteroscopy? Is that a question that a patient can ask? Absolutely. I think, you know, if you have the proper workup done beforehand that, you know, looks at, like, let's say, for instance, you want a hysterectomy. 
mm-hmm. and you want a hysterectomy because you have fibroids. So let's say you have a transvaginal ultrasound done that shows the number of fibroids and, you know, you have one little tiny small fibroid and you just want the uterus out. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a reasonable situation to ask your doctor, like, hey, can I have this done lapar- laparoscopically? However, let's say you have the workup done and it shows that you have like 20 large fibroids. Maybe right. you're not the best candidate, but, you know, you can still have that discussion and talk about, you know, what what makes a good candidate or not. Yeah, I think it is it is definitely a question you can ask your doctor. And sometimes the answer will be, yes, that was my plan. Sometimes yeah. the answer will be no. Right. And if it's no, I think it's important to know, is the answer no because... I'm not the right candidate for it. Right. If so, why? Or is it no yeah. because you don't? Right. Is it no because yeah. it's not, this is something I'm not trained in or, right. you know, this is more complex than than I personally do. And then, you know, regionally, is there someone who does it? And this is, right. you know, this is a legitimate conversation to have with your doctor. And totally. it, it, you may come to the conclusion that, listen, maybe there's someone who could do it minimally invasive. But they're not within three hours of this place. So you mm-hmm. can either travel somewhere else and do it, or we're going to do it this way, which is per- right. you know, safe. And it's not like it's bad to have another way. Right. It's just maybe a little more, maybe not exactly what you are looking for surgery wise. Or is there someone who does it or, you know, there's, right. this is a, this should be an open conversation about what are the options and what is the best option for me specifically. And these are also, again, unless it's an emergency, these are things you can get a second opinion. You can meet with right, someone else right. and see what they say. Now, if you're in the emergency room and you're, you know, bleeding from an ectopic and your life is at risk, you know, you've, yeah. <laughs> listen, I hope, you know, someone good's going to come and see me and take right. care of me. And that's really what matters. That's life-saving. But if it's talking about, you know, an elective surgery or one that's not rushed, you know, you, need, you have a cyst, you need, you know, it needs to be removed, but it could be any time the next month. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, you have time to sort of, quote unquote, chop around and figure out, you know, who's going to offer you what. And, Listen, it could go the other way. You could have someone say, listen, it can be done minimally evasive, but the surgery is going to take 12 hours. Yeah. And if I do it open, it's going to take 20 minutes. And maybe right. maybe that's better, right? right maybe it's right. better to have a shorter operation with more, you know, yeah. cutting, so to speak, than a longer operation. I, I don't know. Like, and you know, some patients yeah. prefer that, you know, so yeah. some patients prefer to have like a, because, you know, depending on your pathology, even if you have an open surgery, it's not necessarily like this giant incision right. that needs to be made, you know, so... Some people are like, oh, I don't want those tiny incisions on my abdomen. I'd rather have like a small one in my bikini line. Right. So I think those are all really reasonable things to talk about. Cool. All right, Dr. Kia. Welcome to New York City. Thank you. We're Thanks happy to have you. Me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I know you just been, just been, just chirping. Please, I want to be on the podcast. Please, <laughs> just get me on. Enough already. Yeah. No, you did great. You're a natural. Thanks. Thanks. I'm sure I'll be back. All right. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.